Well, thank you for uh, inviting me here. It's a privilege <clears throat> just to be with you again. And i uh, just uh, excited and challenged to bring you the word this morning. It's something that's definitely been challenging me, and I'll talk a bit about that as well. So we're carrying on the series here in 2 Timothy, and I'll just be reading through uh, the Bible verse uh, as, as it comes up in the sermon. So just before we start, let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we can come here this morning. Lord, it's not a mistake that we're here. Lord, you have appointed this time. Lord, you've given us this new day. You've gifted it to us, Lord, and we're just thankful for everything that you give to us. And we just pray as we read your word, Lord, something that is timeless, something that is impactful in our lives. Lord, would we have hearts to hear you? Would we have minds to hear what you have to say, Lord, and wills to go out and to be your witness in this world? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (coughs) So we're looking this morning at 2 Timothy 1, and we're going to be looking generally at verse 8 to 18, um, but I'm just going to skip back a little bit into what was looked at last week, just to give a bit more context as as I run through the passage. So I wonder if you can remember the last time you've had a reality check a moment when you've uh, suddenly realised something and it's humbled you. Maybe it was something as simple as realising that you're not quite as supple as as you used to be, or maybe like me, you realise that you can't write more than a page of text without your hand cramping up, because I'm so used to writing on a keyboard now. Well, I recently had uh, a reality check. You see, my wife, when we meet new people, often has a habit of uh, sneaking into the conversation that I'm a breakdancer. So first, after people get over their shock, really? The next question is, well, show us something. So I usually try and give a bit of an excuse like, well, the floor's not great and this is too small an area, which will be my excuse today. (laughs) But um, the particular occasion just a a week or so ago, I decided to show uh, some moves, three in particular, to someone who asked this particular question. And it didn't end very well. The first one I managed to overbalance, the second one I hit my head, and the third one I pulled my groin. So I had a bit of a reality check. You see, I am a breakdancer, or more precisely, I was a breakdancer. I did it a lot at university for five years, but that was four years ago, and I haven't kept my training up. And the thing that happens when you don't keep your training up is that things start to lose very quickly, strength and balance in particular. So I had a bit of a breakdance reality check. So some reality checks can be funny, some can be sobering, perhaps like the parable of the prodigal son when we read in Luke 15, verse 17. And when he came to himself, that is the prodigal son, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish here with hunger? You know, sometimes we have a spiritual reality check and sometimes we need a spiritual reality check. We have these symptoms. Things are not going right. We're worried. We're fearful. We're drained. Maybe we're overwhelmed by situations. And we need someone to come in and just give us that solution. Help us. Give us that check. And this is the situation that we find here in the passage in 2 Timothy. You see, Timothy was one of the leaders in the Ephesian church and he was battling false teachers and he was battling godlessness in the congregation. We find that as we read Timothy 1 and again in Timothy 2. 
And Paul comes in with his diagnosis and he gives Timothy a spiritual reality check. And we're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to take it in three parts. First part, verses uh, 5 to 7, is the calling. The second part, the stalling, verses 8 to 14. And the third part, the falling, verses 15 to 18. I don't normally rhyme my points, but uh, it just happened to be that way. Hopefully it will help you to remember. So let's look at the first section, the calling. This is Timothy's spiritual reality check. So we'll read together from 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 7. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So we can see from this passage that Timothy is in a blessed situation in his family life. Although his father, it seems, was not a Christian, his mother was and his grandmother was. And he was able to observe a sincere faith in his mother and his grandmother. And Paul makes comment that that faith is also present in himself. So Timothy is a Christian. He's not an atheist or an agnostic. He's a man of sincere faith. And this is a man who's gone through the first spiritual reality check to realise that there's something more to life. And he's actually given himself up to Jesus. He spent time observing his mother and his grandmother, and on the other hand, he spent time observing his father, and he's realised that there's something different, something that he's missing, and he's given his life to Jesus. <clears throat> Maybe that's the position that you're in this morning. You haven't quite gone through that first spiritual reality check. Well, I'd encourage you to spend time observing people of sincere faith, people who have something different, people who have a peace about them that's not present in your own life. You know, this is not a magical formula that Christians have. This is just a sense of reality. We have a relationship with Jesus, and he is our creator, and things are different when that is in place. And this is a good day for you to become a Christian too. For most of us, though, I think we can relate to Timothy. <clears throat> we have witnessed a sincere faith in others, Perhaps it's family members, perhaps it's someone uh, close to us, a friend. And we've come to that point where we realise that we need to give our lives to Jesus. And we have a sincere faith. We're not atheists, we're not agnostics, we know Jesus. But perhaps our faith is not making the impact in the hostile world around us that we think it should. Maybe we're stuck. It's not that we're not faithfully serving in the church, but maybe our impact is minimal. At best, because when we take our faith from here to the world outside, it's costly. You know, we're more likely to experience opposition than we are to experience acceptance when we talk about Jesus. And this has certainly been a realisation for me and something that the Lord has been convicting me of this last year is how much I'm taking my faith from the church and taking it outside into the world. And this is, the, cha this is uh, the, the challenge that uh, Paul is giving to Timothy here in this passage. 
You see, in the Christian life, either we go forwards, or it's just like my breakdancing. We don't stay the same. We either use it or lose it. And Timothy has chosen the former, and he's shrinking back from the opposition. And he's actually finding it within the church itself. And we read that he's fearful. That's what we see in verse 6 and 7. Listen, Timothy, Paul says, you've been given a gift. Just like all of us Christians here, we've been given a gift, and you have to fan it into flame. There's no use sitting on it, protecting it for dear life, keeping it safe, fearful of what might happen. We need to fan it into flame. Perhaps if you remember the parable of the, the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, there was a master and he had three servants. He entrusted his property to them. One he gave five talents, another two, and the final one he gave them. one. One. And uh, the third, the, the, so the first two servants went out boldly and they used their gift and they multiplied it. But the third one was fearful. He went home, dug a hole and sat on it. Because he was fearful of what his master might say when he returned. When the master came back, Things didn't go well with that third servant. You wicked, lazy servant was the comment. His one talent was taken from him and he was cast into outer darkness. You see, we're the servants in that story and Jesus is the master. Each of us has been given a gift. And this gift is not ours, but is given to us that we might boldly go out with it. Not bury it and sit on it with fear. Society tells us to do that. It tells us to keep our faith within us, keep it private. That's a lie. It's a deception of the devil to keep us fearful of using our gift. What does Paul say to Timothy? God did not give you a spirit of timidity. In that one statement, Paul has wiped away our excuse. You see, Paul doesn't say, don't be timid. He says, you've not been given a spirit of timidity. Within our gift, we've actually been given the means by which we can go out boldly. Now, we've all got different characters. Some of us are loud, some of us are quiet, but that has nothing to do with how bold or timid we are. We can be the most outspoken, centre of attention type of person and have a really timid faith, or we can be the quiet, wouldn't say boo to a goose type person and really be bold with our faith. We've been given a new spirit, and that spirit we read in the chapter is a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. If you're a Christian in this room, you can have a sincere faith. Timothy had one. You can have in your possession the spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's what Timothy had. But then, just like with Timothy, and just like the servant with the single talent... We can be sitting nicely on a pile of freshly dug dirt because we're burying and keeping safe our gift. We've gone ahead and buried the greatest gift that the world has ever known because we tell ourselves we're just keeping it safe. And this really is the reality check of our calling. For a Christian here this morning, we're gifted and we're empowered. But unless we fan into flame that gift, it's just going to stay still and we're going to stall and that brings us to our next point and this is where Paul takes us in the passage if we don't understand the spiritual reality check of our calling we're going to end up hitting the spiritual reality check of stalling 
So read along with me the next section of the passage, verses 8 to 14. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So we've seen Paul give the reality check to Timothy of his calling and the gifting that he's actually been given. Fan it into flame is Paul's encouragement because if you don't, the next reality check is that of stalling. And if we read this passage, we see that the reality check of stalling comes in two distinct aspects. The first one we read right at the beginning in verse 8. Paul says that stalling causes us to be ashamed of Jesus and ashamed therefore to testify about Jesus. And by extension, that we, Timothy has also been ashamed to associate with Paul himself because Paul is outspoken about who Jesus is. So what does it look like to be ashamed of Jesus or ashamed of his most faithful servants? It means that we believe what Jesus has done in our lives, but perhaps we don't believe that he has power to change anyone else's. Maybe we don't believe that Jesus is really the answer to the world's problems, because we shy away from telling people when they come to us. We don't make it a priority to actually go out and engage people. Sometimes we cringe when other people around us are talking about Jesus and talking to others. We're like the father in the story in Mark 9. You remember Jesus had just come down from the mountain with Peter, James and John after the transfiguration. And the rest of the disciples were at the bottom of the mountain and someone had come to them and asked them to try and cast out the, the, the spirit from their son. And they couldn't do it. And Jesus cries in frustration, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? But the father approaches Jesus and he says, "Oh, If you can do anything, take pity on us, help us. And Jesus replies, If I can, everything is possible for he who believes. And immediately the father says, I do believe, help my unbelief. If we're stalling as Christians, we're part of that unbelieving generation because we're walking around with a spirit of timidity instead of a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline. We're walking around and saying, well, Jesus, well, maybe if you, could, if you could just help me this one time, just help me get out of this 
this situation, I'd really appreciate it. And this leads us to the second consequence of stalling in our Christian life, and that's that we shrink back from suffering for the gospel. You know, we can do that as Christians in our lives. We can organise things, we can plan and we can sort things, we can control things in our lives in order to try and minimise as much as possible any upset, any rocking of the boat. We keep our faith hidden and internalised to avoid any conflict. And this all, all flows from that spirit of timidity that we're clinging on to. Because the reality is that if we make a stand as a Christian, we're going to get persecuted. Perhaps not to the extent that Paul was sitting in prison facing death, but in this current political climate, it could involve imprisonment soon. So the reality check of stalling is it causes us to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. It causes us to move back from some of his most faithful followers. And it causes us, from, causes us to shrink back from suffering for the gospel. But Paul then helps us and Timothy to meditate on some of the truths of what it means to have this gift and where it comes from. And that's in these the second half of this little section that we read. Paul outlines that our gift, um, that we've been saved by the power of God and we've been called to a holy life. We've been called to a life that's separate from the world, standing for the truth. We've chosen not because of anything we've done, but God has chosen us. And he's done that through grace, and he's done that specifically for a purpose. And he's gifted us not to go and sit on our gift, but to go and do something about it. And we see this wasn't just a second thought on God's part either. This was through grace and it was given to us before the beginning of time. This was truly pre-planned. And now it's been revealed to us in our time through Jesus, who has destroyed death. It's a great phrase. You know, death for the Christian no longer has to be a fear. In fact, it's a joy. Because past death, we get to go and be with Jesus. And Jesus has brought to life, has brought us life and immortality. And that he's brought through the gospel. Paul tells us this is why we don't need to have a spirit of timidity. But instead we need to be heralds of the gospel just as he was. Because this is the greatest news the world and us has ever received. And we don't need to worry. Because whatever the world throws at us, as Paul says, we have actually entrusted our life to Jesus. And he is the greatest person to do that to. Because he can be trusted completely. And this passage says that he will guard us until the last day. So what does Paul call us to do? He calls us to guard the gift that we have been given. Not to bury it, but to guard it. So that it won't be distorted through false teaching, that it will be kept pure. But we don't do it in our own strength. That's the last section of this passage. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us as Christians. And it's that same Holy Spirit that enables us to have the power and the love and the self-discipline. 
And those three aspects are actually the fruit that we should see if we're fanning into flame the gift that we've been given. Instead of sometimes what we show and what Timothy was showing here is the fruits of timidity, shame and flight. Instead we should have the gifts and the fruit of power, love and self-discipline. So just quickly looking at those three, what does that actually look like? To have the spirit of power as Christians means that we let the spirit of God flow through us. And it flows through us specifically to impact the lives of others. Like we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus and of Paul, people went to them and they never came away unchanged. He was always impacting them and that was through the Holy Spirit convicting of sin, righteousness and judgment. You see, people couldn't sit on the fence when they were around Jesus. They had to decide whether to go to the right or the left, one way or the other. But it's not some kind of big charismatic effect. This is just people simply and boldly proclaiming the truth. And when the truth is proclaimed, lives are changed. And that's what the spirit of power is all about. And the spirit of love is not some kind of wishy-washy Hollywood type love, but this is the kind of love that we see Jesus model when he came from heaven to earth in humility. And he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death we should have died for us, his bride, here in the church. This love rolls up its sleeves, gets down dirty, touches the sick, confronts the Pharisees, patiently teaches the people, drives the money changers from the temple, eats with tax collectors and sinners, rebukes the disciples. Jesus lived and breathed a gritty love that got in and got the business done. This is the spirit of love that we're called to. And then finally the spirit of self-discipline. This is not some kind of religious strict observance or set of rules, but it's just living life on purpose, being self-controlled. This is a life that keeps on top of the practical aspects. This is a life that stays away um, from coveting or jealousy. This is one that removes greed and overreaching far from us. This is the type of life that stays sober-minded, right down to the practical aspects of running our household well, staying debt-free and being spiritually disciplined. This is the spirit of self-discipline. We've been given a great gift and we've been given a spirit of power, love and self-discipline in order to use that gift. And we've been given the Holy Spirit as our helper to empower us in that because this life isn't to be lived in our own strength. We can't do it. But we need the reality check of our calling to avoid stalling. We need to be people who fan into flame the gift that God has given us to produce that fruit. If we don't, then we're going to fall into the final trap, the final reality check. And that's the final aspect of our passage. And that could lead to falling. So read with me 2 Timothy 1, 15 through to 18. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Philegius and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. 
May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So if we neglect to fan into flame that gift, if we don't understand our calling, we're going to end up stalling. And the trouble with ending up stalling, as we've talked about, we never stand still, is we're going to finally end up falling. And that's what we see happen to these two men, Philegius and Homogenes. They fell away from the work that the Lord was doing. They fell away from the Lord's faithful servants. Practically, this might look like stopping meeting with other faithful believers, stopping going to church maybe, or simply straying from the, from the gospel, denying the key doctrines of our faith. And it's even so much in this dangerous territory that you might need to question the salvation of someone. Not that we lose salvation, but we need to make a judgment of the reality of saving faith. You know, people like this can be found in churches. There can even be whole churches of them. These people can be elders and pastors. There's no way to stand still in faith. Either we move forward or we slip back. Being ashamed of Jesus will eventually lead to abandoning him altogether. Stalling leads to falling. But there is an encouragement here right at the end. Because Paul points us to Anesiphorus. And this is the man who's displayed all the qualities that Paul has been talking about. He was not afraid of Paul. He was not afraid of his suffering. He was an encourager. And he often refreshed Paul, we're told. He went out of his way. This is a man who didn't shrink, shrink back. But he actually lives by the spirit of the gospel. You can imagine him going around all the prisons in Rome. Is Paul here? Is Paul here? Moving on and on till he found him. So finally we see in the last section of verse 18, 18b. This is what it looks like, Timothy, says Paul. You've observed it in Anesiphorus. You've actually seen what this spirit looks like and how it's enacted out. You've seen it in practice. You know the theory. And this is what we read Paul, this is what Paul says finally at the beginning of chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in grace, that is, in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is the whole model of the church. This is what discipleship is all about. When Jesus called us in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, he said, practice it in the church and then teach others to do the same. This is what Paul is calling Timothy to do. It's not complicated. He's just saying, you know the theory, you've seen it in practice, model it yourself and pass it on to others. This is the spiritual reality check for us as a church. We have a calling, and if we're not living in the spirit of power, love and self-discipline, if those are not fruits in our lives, then we're stalling. And if we're stalling, we're going to run the risk of falling. But instead, let's mirror the life of Paul, of Jesus, of Anesiphorus, of any faithful Christian that we see around us. But also, let's make sure that we don't forget, that we don't do this in our own strength. It's not a case of 
feeling guilty about this or trying harder. We just need to fan into flame the gift that the Lord has already given to us. And we need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just take time to check ourselves today. Do we know what our calling is? Are we stalling? Are we showing the fruit that Paul calls us to? Have we fallen? You know, Jesus has saved us for a joyful job. And Paul talks about it. This is what he is. He's a herald of the gospel. And he's not ashamed of who Jesus is. Perhaps this morning you're, you're not a Christian and the Holy Spirit has been working in your life to help you have that first reality check. You know, life is tough and maybe there's a relationship missing. There's a life purpose missing. You know, we, we don't have to be far from home anymore feeding the pigs, hungry, wanting to feed us with, um, feed ourselves with what we're feeding to the pigs. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. Any person who comes to me will no longer hunger or thirst, but they will be satisfied. We were made to be in a relationship with Jesus. We were made to be in a relationship with our Creator. And this morning I encourage you to give your life to him. Because as Paul says in this chapter, there's no one else to trust it to. We can't even trust it to ourselves. We read that truth in Luke 17:33. Whoever tries to hold on to their life will lose it, but whoever gives it up, whoever gives it to Jesus will preserve it. So I encourage you, give your life to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for the chance that we have to look at your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom, Lord, that you've passed down from Paul. Lord, this is a situation where we find ourselves, Lord, we can have sincere faith. Lord, we're not atheists or agnostics, but we can just be people who are stalling, Lord, in this life. And we just thank you for the encouragement this morning of Paul. Lord, we thank you for the practical steps that we can take to fan into the flame the gift that you've given to us, Lord. And this is not in our own strength. This is not something that's coming from us, Lord, but it's empowered by the Spirit. And it's empowered through the Spirit you've given to us, Lord, of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Father, I just thank you for the chance to um, study your word. Lord, may you go before us into this week, go ahead of us, Lord, that we may continue to keep our eyes fixed on you for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.